0: Welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest is Will Fleming from willfleming.com and from Force Fitness and Performance, which is a training facility located in Bloomington, Indiana in the U.S., will is a sports performance coach and a weightlifting coach whose expertise comes from years of training and coaching athletes in multiple sports his athletes are routinely the most explosive fastest and strongest on the field as mentioned earlier will is the owner of force fitness performance which has been open since 2008 force boasts a impressive track record of success with 90 plus athletes earning division one scholarships and nearly 225 athletes moving on to compete at the NCAA level in Division 1, 2, and 3. Athletes from professional football, basketball, baseball, soccer, and track and field have trained with Will and his team of coaches at Force Fitness and Performance. In addition to being a business owner, Will has been the author of numerous books and training products for athletes and weightlifters alike, including his complete Olympic lifting handbook. Will is also the creator of the Certified Weightlifting Performance Coach course, with nearly a thousand certified coaches around the world using his teaching techniques. Will has also contributed to publications like Men's Health, Women's Health and Teen Nation. Will lives in Bloomington, Indiana with his beautiful and supportive wife Ashley and their son Jack, and at the current time of this episode, they were expecting another baby on the way. On this episode, Will and I discussed many, many topics, including Will's background, Will's personal and professional influences, the good and not-so-good things that Will sees within the physical preparation profession, and what solutions he would offer up for the not-so-good things that he's seen. Will discusses the importance of knowing the difference between principles and methods. Will gives us an in-depth breakdown of his training system. Will's take on velocity-based training for Olympic lifting and their variations. Why Will likes to utilize muscle cleans and snatches within his Olympic lifting prescriptions. Will breaks down his technical model for teaching Olympic lifts. How Will utilizes complexes within his prescription of the Olympic lift variations for increasing training volume and also for correcting technique. Will also gives his take on why he believes that Olympic lift variations are just one of the many ways to develop power output and not the only way. Again, many roads lead to Rome. Will discusses the difference in the programming and periodization schemes that he uses with his athletes versus his Olympic lifters. Will gives his top resources and advice to all of the listeners. And finally, if Will could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would he invite and why? Guys, this was an absolutely outstanding episode, Will, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. Okay, Coach Will Fleming, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you come on to the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast, my friend. Just for the listeners who may not be too familiar with who you are, which I would imagine will be very few people, uh, just fill us in the background, Will.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, which is a smallish town. Uh, we have a real, really big university here um, uh, in the middle of America, and so... Uh, My background started uh, – I've gotten pretty good at telling this because I think it's really – it it frames why I became a coach and why I do what I do and how I got into Olympic lifting and all that kind of stuff. So when I was 15 years old, I was playing American football and I had gotten thrust onto the the varsity team at our high school and I was woefully undersized and – uh, under athletic I, I had I can remember really clearly running uh, a 40-yard dash before the season at five and run I ran a 5-2 yeah, yeah and I had a 24-inch vertical jump and I weighed maybe 155 to 160 pounds and so not ready to play varsity football against the teams we were playing and um, but I knew what I was doing on the field I was like a smart player and a couple guys got hurt ahead of me and so they said, "Hey, you're starting." And the first game I was going to start was versus our crosstown rival, who had won, you know, multiple state championships. They were the number one ranked team in the state, and I was just all certain that, you know, I was gonna I was gonna be the guy who turned it around for our team, and we were gonna we we're gonna be able to win and and whatnot. And so, as a li- I was playing linebacker on the defense, and they had an all-state tailback and an all-state fullback, and really good, you know, like incredible athletes. Um, they're both junior or seniors in high school that year you know really really excellent players and so I recognize the play that's coming and I know what my job is and it's it's to meet the fullback into the hole right and and you know and hit him while he's trying to block me and let somebody else come over and make the tackle so I'm like I'm gonna do my job here I go and I hit the guy and I end up five yards downfield on my back looking over my head and I see the the tailback running for a touchdown and I'm like wow I am too slow and too small and not athletic enough to do this so the day the season ended we um you know I, I started asking you know I asked around and I talked to my brother who was a uh, you know big 10 conference champion in the U.S. uh shot putter right so big strong guy and asked him you know where where should I go lift and he he told me that there was a like a gym in the Indiana University weight room, and that I should go over there because he had seen that fullback and that tailback in their weight room lifting uh, prior to the season. So um, he said, go over here and, and start lifting. So I show up and I'm like, hey, just make me a better football player, can you? And they said, yeah, we can, but you're you know we are an Olympic weightlifting club, so you have to compete in weightlifting as well. So I was like, whatever it takes to be a better football player. So start training with these guys, and I was really fortunate that one of the coaches was a 1992 Olympian in weightlifting for the United States, and one was the head coach of a, a couple world championship teams, and really, really good coaches, excellent tutors, excellent mentors.
0: Who, 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 they, are, these, who are these guys, just name-wise? Uh,
1: Paul, Paul Fleschler uh, was a 1992 Olympian uh, in uh, the 90-kilo class, and then um, Frank Exton was the Gosh. was the coach, and Frank went on to be the uh, president of USA Weightlifting for a period of time, and then Paul was the men's national team coach for the United States. So, you know, I just happened into these really, really great coaches, and they look, had you know lucky, graduate assistant yeah, lucky, coach. As we say in Ireland,
0: you lucky bastard." Yeah, yeah. And, I, could, and, I, always the, back, I always look back and like, I oh, like, because like, I got into weightlifting late. Like, I'm 30 now, and like, it's only even this year I did a, a really consorted Olympic lifting program for my masters. Like, they're big into Olympic lifting, yeah. so like, I was just like. Why can someone just got me in my teens or like my yo my, my later on lessons? Like I'm always like track and field, let me lift in gymnastics. which just that yeah. streak would be great. Sorry, but anyway,
1: yeah. go on. Oh no worries. And so you know, I'm I'm not particularly good at that point And they you know we start we start training and competing and whatnot. And I go to some junior national championships. But if fast forward two years and before my senior year of high school, so I'm 17 years old. I started when I was 15. By the time I'm 17, uh, I was. um... I had run a four-five, a four-point-five-second forty-yard dash. I had a vertical jump of thirty-six inches. Uh, I had, um, I was two hundred and fifteen pounds, you know, and I had like, I had cleaned three hundred and thirty pounds. I had done a snatch with two hundred and seventy-five pounds. So I was just like completely transformed, and so I was an athlete that wouldn't wouldn't have gotten recruited, wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to play college sports or do anything travel all that kind of stuff but then because of these coaches that had really really poured into me and shown me uh you know how to train and taught me everything that they knew i i had college scholarships for track and field i had college scholarships for football i got the opportunity to live at the olympic training center in colorado springs so these are all opportunities that wouldn't have been there and so that was kind of a light bulb moment it was like man if i could do that right like open up those doors for athletes or anybody you know by physically improving it, helping them improve physically, then uh, that would be a really really cool profession. So, uh, went from the Olympic Training Center, uh, competed collegiately as a track and field athlete in the hammer throw, um, was an All American in the hammer throw, then um, set the you know set the school record, competed at the Olympic trials in the hammer throw as the, one of the smallest competitors to ever do that right. So I'm only five ten and I was weighing two hundred pounds at the time. So. Um, that was my athletic career, and that just kind of uh, at that point. Uh, by the time the Olympic trials came around, I knew that I was winding down on the track and field side, and started coaching some people and working with athletes, and then opened my gym shortly thereafter.
0: With the just in terms of timeline, so what age were you when you when you first went to that weightlifting club?
1: I was fifteen.
0: So between when I started. between the age of fifteen and then when you went to when you, when, when you finished college, were you weighing 200 at
1: 510? Um, I, I got, up like, so, you know, you kind of go through like, oh, I need to get bigger. Cause I was a thrower. So I weighed around 200, 220 at my heaviest. Wow. Um, but you, when you I, I was. You said you were
0: 150 at 15 years old. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So ah. I
1: was 220 to 230 sometimes. And then I realized that my best competition weight was what I was competing at when I went to the Olympic uh, Olympic trials in 2008. And I was about. Uh, it was about ninety kilos, right? Because I remember I hit my all-time best clean before the Olympic trials. I cleaned one hundred and eighty-two kilos, and it was a double body weight clean. So
0: nice, nice. Well, a question I love to ask everyone is: in terms of your biggest influences, who have been the biggest influences on you? Not only professionally, but also personally.
1: Well, certainly those coaches at the start, you know, piqued my interest, right? <clears throat> and they were, all had different things about them that were. Awesome. I mean, I can remember Paul would, you know, he kicked me out of the gym a couple times. Right. So it's like, uh, so he was, you know, tough, but really like, uh, you, he was real demanding. and He was real clear about what he wanted. And then one of the assistants there was a guy named Jeff Eliason and Jeff was a ended up being a collegiate strength coach, at Indian university, and was the strength coach for their basketball team, which has always been highly ranked. And so, um, but he was real, you know, caring, like, uh you know wanted to sit down and talk to you about what's going on in life and all that kind of stuff. So I took things from from those guys definitely. Um and then uh you know as things have progressed my throws coaches were really influential. I had a I had a guy who was a throws coach uh named Rob Roeder, who probably hasn't coached anybody else in twenty five years, but he just happened to see me throw one day and said, Hey I'd like to help you with some things and it turned out that you know, his roommates were Hungarian, and he had lived in Hungary for a while to train with them. And um, he was, you know, the whole conversation about internal, external cueing and all that kind of stuff, he was, he was giving me external cues when he was coaching. You know, most, you know when, when you go something really technical, like Olympic lifts or the hammer throw, you start, you, you kind of head towards these internal cues like squeeze the lats or, you know, depress your shoulder blades, all this kind of stuff. Um, or, you know, turn the right leg and Rob would say stuff like, you know, act like you're spreading peanut butter, you know, just stuff that didn't, you know, you're like what? And, but then it happened, right? And he was like, he never, ever referred to a part of my body or anything like that. Never said, you know, your legs need to be tighter or you need to do this or whatever. It was all these really vivid images. So I got this like crash course with him when he was coaching me in the hammer uh, right before the Olympic Trials, that I was like, man, everything's clicking, and it's the way he communicates, right? So it's how he communicates. So he was a really big influence. Once I got into the profession more, uh, Robert Dos Remedios is probably my biggest influencer, one of my best friends now, and uh, and you know, I really had the opportunity. I read power, mental health, power training, read cardio strength training, met him, started you know talking, and we you know talk every single day. So um, he's been one of my biggest professional influences. Um, and then guys like, you know, running the business like Pat Rigsby, and then uh, certainly, you know, the big names out there. I've read, you know, everything Mike Boyle's put together and all that kind of stuff. Eric Cressy, Mike Robertson, all that.
0: Yeah, those are some good things. It's funny that you, know, you mentioned the, the spread and the peanut butter because uh, I, I interned at Altus there just uh, a few months ago and got to spend some great time with the likes of Dan Papp and Stuart Yeah. One day, Dan was uh, training one of the uh, high jumpers. Mm-hmm. And like she was, she was kind of not placing her foot, or she wasn't applying force in the ground in you know the most efficient manner possible to jump over the bar. And uh, Dan, Dan goes through. Have you ever seen manure slide off a shovel head? And she was like, she was like, yeah, I, I think I go to me. She says, well, that's how I want your foot to apply to the ground. Yeah, take off. And then, like her next jump, she was, it was much better. But it, not saying like it was definitely the cue, but it was just funny. Like, but it is that
1: is like track and field. There are these uh, coaches that kind of came about. Uh, Dan being one of them, uh, Bondarchuk being one. All these coaches that have these great scientific backgrounds and these great classical backgrounds, but they're better communicators than anybody we see in like the you know physical preparation world where it's like uh where you're training people these people are out there you know on a track and they're like going through the motions and they feel it and want you to feel it and stuff like that so i yeah absolutely i can totally see that one right
0: yeah yeah and then dan is obviously a you know, fantastic communicator um he's a great guy had a great time down there but will so another question i love to ask all the guests and then we'll get into you know get into more specific questions in terms of yourself and your coaching is with regards to the good and not so good things you see within the physical preparation profession, what are the things that make you proud to be in the physical preparation profession? And then what are the things that don't make you quite so proud? And with the stuff that doesn't make you so proud, what sort of solutions would you offer up?
1: Yeah, um, you know, on the on the proud side of things, I just think that like our – what we do, right. The reason I got into the profession, this like opportunity to change lives and stuff like that to be, um, Alan Cosgrove one time said, you know, the healthcare system is actually sick care. We're in the business of healthcare, right? So from that person that you you can help, you know, just like be more physically active to the athlete that you can get ready to achieve a college scholarship or, you know, unlock this like lifelong dream, Uh, Those are like good things, right? We have this unique opportunity to do that. The big thing that I see that is not so proud is there's just, there's really no barrier to entry to the world of physical preparation, right? You can, you don't even have, you know, I would love to say you only have to take a weekend course and you can start doing it because you don't even have to do that, right? You can be the, you can have the best bench press in a gym. You could have, uh, you could be the best social media marketer and suddenly, you have this huge in group of people that you can influence. So there's really no barrier to entry. So we just see just we see very little uh, you know, so it's like two steps forward, two steps back all the time because mm-hmm. you know, we we're making progress, you know thing people are training smarter and all that kind of stuff. And then somebody gets a million followers on Instagram. and suddenly, uh, somebody asks you like, why don't I do this workout? And it's like, well, cause that's, that's a made up workout, right? It's not like, it's not yeah, something real. Yeah, so yeah. we just, so how do you, how do you change that? I don't know. You know, uh, you educate people and you hope that the people that you're working with understand the difference between, um, understand the difference between like having bona fides and not, you know, so people who actually have done it and been there and, continue to do it not to say that you can't just you can you know it's great because we are we are able to accelerate our level of knowledge right you're across uh, an ocean from me right uh or you know and i could talk to anybody i can talk to anybody around the world you know i talk to people from australia i coach people in australia i coach people uh in uh, dubai and all that kind of stuff so i i'm able to work with people all over the world so we're really well connected um so you can accelerate your learning and accelerate your uh, path professionally, but uh, you also don't have to, right? Because there's so there's so many people who can just pop up and, you know, this is the greatest exercise I invented it, and you should always do it. You know, so it's so that that's frustrating, right?
0: Absolutely, and just I think though the, the solution he did offer there is is the answer is to, is really just to try and educate people to be more critical with their. They're thinking, you know, so to become more critical thinkers and it's definitely a theme I've been hearing a lot more in discussions I've had lately with James Smith, the thinker myself and James are really good friends and I have James on pretty regularly Um, Jay Schroeder would be another person who I communicate with now and again and, you know, even Jay would say like he would never want anyone to go to him to be mentored. He's like, I want people to understand that I want them just to purely critically think for themselves. It's funny because everyone's like, get a mentor, get a mentor. Even with Dan, Dan said a very important thing to me one day. He says, don't get a mentor. He says, get mentors. And he's like, like, because you're going to get so many different perspectives. He's like, if you get a mentor – whether consciously or subconsciously, they're going to try and just instill their belief system within you. Just like, mm-hmm. just like w- what happens when, we're, when we get raised by our by our family, or our guardians yeah, right. or our friends, or our society. You know, we 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 know through epigenetics that the environment has a massive influence in the organism. And um, another guy too, Ben Escrow. I only listened to a podcast from yesterday, and, and James said the same thing to me one time. He was like, a really important thing for us to start to realize is is first principles, like the principles that underpin nearly almost everything. And like if you took first principles nearly from every sort of related field or sector, you realize that like nearly everything is connected. And then like you get back to basic fucking physics and maths and yeah. other, it's all connected. Like there's a guy, Jim Al Khalidi, who wrote a book called Life on the Edge, and in that book, and I've seen a presentation, Khalidi just goes, right, if you want to understand everything in life, you need to know biology. And everyone's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, But to understand biology, you need to know chemistry. And everyone's like, Oh, that makes sense. Chemistry underpins biology. It's like, but to understand chemistry, you need to know physics. Oh, yeah, physics underpins chemistry. It's like, and it's really understanding all that. You need to know maths. He's like, if you know all that stuff, you've got first principles, first universal principles in place. Then we can start to have a conversation about like all these, all yeah. these like other uh, other pieces of the puzzle. So, it's like, yeah, I think critical thinking is huge and understanding them. Um, you know, the underpinning principles of everything, because like, if we don't start to think more critically and look at principles versus methods, we're really only like talking very superficial things all the time you know and i think that's one thing you're right with with the fitness industry is like people are putting up to well why don't they do this workout it's like oh god we we need like we need like to sit down have a really deep conversation this is so superficial like it's just i can't give you the twitter soundbite to explain this to you so yeah i think it also goes back to the fact and i'm going to show up i said this in a a few other interviews uh i said it because i said the listeners like this guy shut the fuck up i'm here to listen to will uh but another thing, and I've said this in a lot of our, in my podcasts recently, is we, we live in a society now of instant gratification.
1: Yeah. Definitely. You know,
0: so um, people want to just speed up the process of mastery. They just want, oh, just give me the answer now. I don't want to have to go through 5, 10, 15 years to realize the answer. And it's like, well, unfortunately, anything that has really been worthwhile doing in humanity took time. Like Einstein go, ah, oh, relativity. It was like, yeah, you know, it was like 10 years of shitty working that like yeah. crap. You know what I mean? Mozart, you know, it was like, you know, just a week long course. Like, oh, look at the music. I was just like, no, no. <laughs> I'm um, so good. Yeah, or Michelangelo. He's like, look, I just sketched this out. First time trying, baby. He's like, no, he did that shit for years. Then he did all yeah. like, oh, his great works of art, you know. So, yeah, mastery is is, is is something that people are trying to speed up. And I think it's just because we're so bombarded by such stimuli on a day to day basis. and. We we want things now. Like again, we're living in a set of society of instant gratification, and we, we, we seem to struggle with delaying gratification. So uh, I think that's another aspect of it too, in terms of trying to like tell, try, trying to get away from this like superficial idea of what fitness is, you know. So um, anyway, I'm going to move on to my next question for you. Uh, yeah. So uh, Will, another question I love to ask, um, and I really want to ask you this: is if I pose the question to you, what is your overall training system? Or if you want to use the word principles or if you want to use the word philosophy, I give those three because sometimes they say philosophy. I said to Buddy Morrison, he's like, I don't have a fucking philosophy. He's like, I, yeah. my, my program is based on science. It's principles. So whatever word you want to use there. And another way I would term this is if I was an athlete showing up to your gym, like what happens from that day? Like, So I walk in, and yeah. am ready to rock and roll. Where, where do we go from there? So basically just walk through your whole training system and, and your reasoning behind it.
1: Yeah. So... Um I, my my biggest thing – so I, I always – I end up always having a slide at the beginning of any presentation because I, I get asked to talk, talk about Olympic lifts a lot. And the slide is basically that methods are many, principles are few, methods may change, principles never do. And uh, we kind of go over the difference between the two and – and I, I try to make the point that I'm going to talk about Olympic lifts today, right? I'm going to teach you how we Olympic lift, how I teach athletes to do it, how I teach Olympic lifters to do it. Whatever the case, we're gonna we do we use those, uh, but they're they're only a method, right? Because uh, in certain circumstances, we can't do it, right? Maybe we have a really really limited time sphere. Maybe we have injuries. Maybe we have X Y or Z that just makes it not possible. But the principle to me is that, like, explosive power, uh, rate of force development, all the things that kind of typically accompany Olympic lifts are, are truly game changers when it comes to athletes' abilities, right? If we can improve, you know, testing measures like vertical jump, 10-yard sprint time, change direction time, all all that kind of stuff. If we can improve those testing measures, then we're going to have a better athlete and the quickest, most direct route. For most athletes to improve those testing measures is through improving their power output, right? So uh, Olympic lifts are the method that I choose typically, but there's a ton of opportunities and and spots where we're not going to choose them, right? Um, and I can think of a lot of those, um, but we can we can use them when we have time to teach them, which isn't too much time usually, right? We can get somebody with a pretty comp, you know, pretty good looking Olympic lift in a fairly short Uh, Time frame, so that's that's the principle, right? Is make athletes more powerful, more explosive, whatever phrase you want to use, Uh, and that's going to be the game changer. So, you know, our training is going to be based around that. So, uh, you know, in most sessions, we're going to train like a total body push or pull days. We're going to have uh, an Olympic lift or something explosive at the start. After. Uh, you know, after a really good dynamic warm-up that's addressing concerns that we found in like an FMS or uh, some various screens and assessment tests that we'll use. Uh, We'll have a mobility piece. We'll usually have, we're always going to address speed and agility in some way. We usually split it up into lateral and linear days. Then we do total body push, total body pull uh, to finish out. And so we use that pretty much from, ages 13 and up we use something that looks really really similar to that and then just the methods we choose uh is are going to change um our more advanced athletes high school college are going to use an olympic lift variation and probably going to be pushing the intensity on those we're going to use you know bilateral squat variations single leg uh variations all that kind of stuff and we'll go through that the younger kids um you know we may it's probably more exposure to movement so we're actually probably doing higher reps in a pretty linear pattern and uh like linear rep scheme and we're just trying to get them good at the basic movements the you know squat push pull hinge Mm -hmm. stuff like that
0: And, and in terms then of your sort of weekly setup so do you offer or do you do like you know obviously there's in season which might be two day and then there's there's three day there's four day like how would how would that differ? Like so, if an athlete can come only three days a week versus four days a week, say versus yeah. five days a week, how would how would that differ? Obviously, it's going to differ to their training age as well. But if I was coming four days a week, would I literally four days a week with you? Would I do a clean snatch, clean snatch for a variation, and would it would it be then upper lower split after that, or would it be total body every day? Or again, yeah, it's supposed so, to, it's dependent yeah, on the gravity. Yeah, from. definitely.
1: So you know, easy one is two days a week. It's total body push pull. Yeah days, right? Uh, once you go to three days, we kind of use the third day as like a modified total body. So we, we probably fill in the gaps and do, you know, throw in more instead of, you know, squat and hinge, we're probably doing a pretty like intense single leg lower body lift, like an RFE split squat, something Mm -hmm. we can load pretty well. Uh, we're probably doing more vertical push and vertical pull, um, depending on the athlete. And then, um on the olympic lift side on a 3 day program it might be uh you know clean snatch and some very you know hang clean hang snatch and the third day could be a pull it could be a trap bar jump shrug or something like that so we're just doing some higher power output thing um but it might not be an olympic lift variation okay. um on 4 days we'll definitely have one day that we're doing a pull and uh a lot of our athletes I like, to, I like to get most of my Olympic lifts done with, like, the hang variations for my athletes. So hang power snatch, hang power clean. But most of them are concurrently training at their high school in some fashion for their sport. And so those athletes are going to have to do a power clean at school. So we'll do some percentage-based work on, like, a clean from the floor so that they can really get good at the technical yeah. aspects of that because – and obviously we teach the hangs because they're they're easier to teach and easier to get like a really great outcome from really quickly the most difficult part of any olympic lift is the first pull you know from the ground the ground to pass the knee and yeah. what, so we'll you'll we'll do percentage based work or pauses or something like that that is primarily just based around the idea of let's get them good at at this movement that they're going to have to do with more intensity at school
0: great stuff and then uh, velocity-based training has, has become a big thing. Do you utilize any of that in your training?
1: Um, we don't uh, just purely on logistics and how we're set up. We do like semi-private training, so it's not group. Um, so we'd have to put everybody in a push band or I have a bar sensei at every spot or something like that. So we d- we don't do it. Um, luckily, we've uh, I've messed with it enough and read enough of the literature. We kind of know – uh, in the Olympic lifts, in particular, you know you're basically like it's 2.3 meters per second if you're at chest height. It's two meters per second if you're at belly button height, you know stuff like that. So um, we're kind of we're kind of gauging that idea. And so uh, to get a little, um, so the big reason I would use it is to like ensure quality yeah. um, of the lifts. So we're going to lift to the speed. So the the big way we get around it without having the equipment to do it is we do a lot of like rep max based training like work up to a heavy 5 and then two two back off sets or work up to a heavy 3 and two back off sets yeah, yeah. so um and usually at that point you know what that how that 3 should look would give me an idea of how fast they're moving and then it also gives me a daily uh reminder or daily like look at what their current readiness state is
0: uh, in terms then of just assessment so again say i was a, an athlete coming to you and like I, I was pretty, uh, let's say we right were pretty proficient. Like, so you said you do some screening. Do you do any performance testing, or do you look at any yeah, performance so measures? Yeah, so on start?
1: day one, we'll do a, a vertical jump, and we'll do a ten-yard sprint time. Okay. Um, and if they move well, we'll do a five ten five. Um, if they don't move well, we'll just scrap the five ten five because I don't want to see them, you know breaking a leg yeah, yeah got turf, right so but we'll do a 10 yard sprint and we'll do a, a vertical jump on day one with most athletes that are you know high school and up and
0: uh, with the vertical jump um sorry just got a little email across there Fra- franz, nice. fr- franz Bosch is in ireland on sunday so i'll just sign up for okay. the course uh, i'll keep that in the listeners will hear that uh with the with the jumping, uh, will do you do a, a profile on that, or do you, do you just do a standard vertical jump, or do you look at a non counter versus a counter versus like a yeah that's a, a question I was
1: actually talking to, talking about that with one of my coaches yesterday. Um, we'll do we'll do a counter movement jump, and then we'll do a non counter movement jump if something in training later on indicates to me that maybe that's something we need to look at. Okay. Right. So day one it's just counter movement jump. Uh, but if I watch them and it's just like, man, they they don't develop force very quickly. They're are they, you know, are they springy? You know, the term I would use. And if if they don't look to be that way, then I might go do that. Uh, I'll go do that non counter movement jump compared to a vertical jump, uh, and see what the difference is. And then go, okay, you need more plyometrics or you need more strength work.
0: Yeah. Do you ever look at the four jump test or a reactive strength index? You look like a drop pump or
1: we we haven't uh we haven't in a number of years uh the athletes that we end up we i mean our athlete population for 90 percent of the year would be like third 12 year old to 17 year olds yeah, right yeah, I guess so you. right and and usually um so when 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 we get guys who are higher end college and so in the summer we might get college kids back who we've had previous years Mm -hmm. um we've had pro athletes i mean we're kind of a small town so uh we if we get pro athletes it's because they're local guys and they're in town or something like that so if if we do that we'll start bringing out the full test battery and breaking stuff down but with the young athletes it's really just exposure to like better movement right so we'll um we're going to get some baseline stuff so that we can say look this is this helped you improve in this way uh, we're going to, you know, so we're, we got the right path. Um, and then, and then, you know, just kind of expose them to really good coaching and really good movement as opposed to like break out the full test battery right away.
0: In terms then of teaching the lifts, like w- w- what sort of technical model do you like to go by in terms of both the the clean and the snatch variation? So yeah, I, know, yeah. I know you said you like to be, for most athletes, you like to just basically hang power cleans yeah. and power snatches. But...
1: Yeah. So with every, any athlete, um, who's going to come in, whether they're, you know, it's just like where we end up on day one or whatever is is the differentiation between like somebody who's going to go into weightlifting, which kind of organically grew because I had a couple kids who were like, uh, not really loving their sport. They're playing they're playing soccer and we're like, oh, I might quit playing soccer. But you know, they're they're five three or something, and they had done a hang power clean with eighty five kilos, and I was like, hey, you should you should maybe maybe we should try this out. Uh so that's kind of how it started. I'd take kids who were like, I don't I don't have a place to I don't have a sport to be in. Uh well, you have some characteristics that would make you good at this sport, so let's try this. So it kind of grew from that. So all of them have we start with the same model and then add an extra piece for at, for the weightlifters. Um and it's really top down. Um we'd go uh rack or overhead position, try and establish that, go through a drill set there. Then we'll go to like a high hip position. Um so, uh, trying to establish a really good like vertical finish as opposed to like a forward back, trying to get that bar path. So uh, our positions are um, are going to be the racked or overhead position, hip position, then above knee. For an athlete, we'll stop at above knee, uh, and then for uh, a weightlifter, we'll go down to the floor and get a good start position. So we'll have uh, you know the three pulling positions and and the and the top. And then at each spot, we have a drill set, which is uh, going to be usually a straight arm pull, a high pull, uh, a muscle clean or muscle snatch, then a power clean or power snatch. And then uh, and that's usually where the athletes stop. With a weightlifter, I'll then add in the full lift. So we'll do a full snatch or a full clean from each position. So it's basically like uh, three positions, five drills at each spot. Uh, and then we've, you know, put the whole movement together.
0: So you have five drills at each spot. So if, with the, if I was just doing from the hip and then above the knee, I'd have five at the hip and five above the knees. So be correct?
1: Yeah, you could. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so like some things, you know, we kind of talk about those are progressions, but they are, you know, variations of the lifts. So, you know, one of the big things in training is like, you know people kind of get stuck on power cleans or we're going to do power cleans in training right or we're going to do well we're going to add power snatches and then they're like well that's all you can do and really each thing has its own profile and own uh own ability to create force and do different things for the athlete so my big presentation that I gave this year at uh, the speed and power summits that we're going uh that we did around the US was more than power cleans right so just progressions and how to choose them and you know, and so it's like, and so I'd like to point out, like, hey, by the time we're done teaching, we have 15 variations of a clean, right? And you have, and if you're also doing snatches, you have 15 variations of a snatch. Now, some, and they all have different profiles, right? So, uh, like, a, a pull from, a straight arm pull from above the knee uh, in the clean is going to look different than what, a, you know, a muscle snatch looks like loading, bar speed, uh, yeah. force, all that kind of stuff
0: with with the the, the, clean, uh, the muscle clean and muscle clean the muscle snatch, what exactly are they utilized for?
1: Yeah, so um in classical like Olympic lift teaching, uh muscle clean and a muscle snatch are teaching you this connection in the third pole, almost like what the what the arm path is supposed to be like mm. because you know too often, you know one common error if you're Olympic lifting is, there's there's a pretty popular meme that goes around and floats around periodically where it's like here's how to snatch and there's like stick figure drawings and it's kind of showing piece by piece and then the guy extends and then the next frame is black and it says and magic happens and then the bar's overhead right you know so and that's kind of what people kind of think It's like if I pull hard enough it'll end up there but yeah. well, really there's this like intrinsic connection you have to maintain with the bar. So that it keeps the right bar path and ends up in the right spot overhead or at the chest, right? So a muscle clean or muscle snatch, it's kind of just slowing it down just a little bit so you feel that connection. So the elbows are going high, staying above the bar. You're finishing vertically and not forward or back. Um, And so that's kind of what the muscle – Snatch and muscle clean are used for. I don't use. I'll I'll use muscle snatch and muscle clean in the teaching of the movements. If you
0: have to, use I'll, I'll
1: use muscle snatches as an actual training variation. Something we'll actually do in training, on a you know relatively um, frequent basis. Uh, it usually just it's a really good, you know, got like a really good profile in terms of like bar speed but usually is at a little bit lighter weight because we can't get under the bar, right? And w- so, would would,
0: would, that, would that be your Olympic lift variation for that day?
1: Yeah, it could be, yeah. So we could do a hang muscle snatch. We could do a hang muscle snatch with a clean grip, and then we get a little longer pull, maybe even reduce the load even more. Mm. So it could be one of the variations. You know, that might be an in-season uh, variation. It could be like a... You know, a pre-competition for my track and field athletes, you'll see that one day before. So, you know, a big, strong guy who can, you know, snatch uh, 120 kilos, uh, he might he might only muscle snatch from above the knee 60 or 70, right? Because, uh, but he's moving it really fast. I'm just do- using a variation that keeps it almost artificially low, and we're actually focusing on the speed that we're moving the lift.
0: Um, I'm going to ask about errors in some of your your top. Yeah. Your, your top uh, corrective strategy but before that, um, I just want to I actually it's come back to me now. It's a good thing I write down the notes that go on complexes. So when as I was saying to you, I don't know if I said it offline or did I say it to you on online. Anyway, before we got on, but uh, about yeah, uh, I, I kind of only this year I did my first. I don't know, it, wasn't yeah. like, it was what we were talking. Yeah. I did like kind of only my first ever consort, and then different problems. So it was about eight, nine weeks. Where I, where I was doing it just a purely into program. Because, again, for my master's, there was a module where we were going to get Cess and her ability to coach them and demonstrate them and whatnot. And in terms of clean and jerk, I, I always feel pretty proficient. My snatch is great. 6'2", long arms, big bit kyphotic. Start yeah. position a bit of a fecker for me. So, uh, like, if I'm doing anything from the hangar, just put the in EMRI. But what I found good, and this actually came from one of your articles in Teen Nation, what I found good was... Uh, I kind of like in my head I was like, like how can you get better Olympic lifting? Like if you were just like just doing like, say like a hand clean like three times a week and like that. I'm like then I was like, why don't you do a complex so you're almost going like four reps in one go? Yeah, yeah. and you're So like because the one thing with me is consistency. I'm hitting the same part of my thigh every night. The bar path, you know. So you were you, I was nodding and you were like the first pull into the second. Like yes, yeah. Like do you ever like now with the clean and pretty efficient but in the snatch you just have those days we have. What I don't know if you have this term in America like brain farts. You know, yeah, you're, just, yeah. you're just like you're like that's just I'm just not hitting the right part of my thigh today. So I, I like some some of the ones I do, like a halt and clean into uh, a power clean into like a hand clean. Well, actually, to a full clean, then into a, a kind of a high clean shrug, into then a full clean where I dropped under each time. Yep. And I found that very very good. And the second reason why I, I started to utilize the complexes uh, was more for like well, if you want time under tension, really. If you like, yeah, exactly, because, yeah. Because the other thing that when I got into Olympic, I was feck, you know, like I won't get as much, and I don't you know, not that I'm a bodybuilder, but I won't get as much time to spend on, say, more accessory hypertrophy yeah. work because I need to put so much time into the technical aspects. So how can I get a little more load for my system? I was like, well, complexes will help help do that to a degree. And I, met, yeah. I came across your article because uh, I was typing in the search engine like Olympic lifting and hypertrophy or, or Olympic lifting for hypertrophy or, you know, just terms of that. And then some articles, one of them was yours a Teenage, and you're like, you know, what I like to do in some of my accumulation blocks is to do these complexes so it helps a little bit with hypertrophy. Because of course the one thing with limit is it's so concentric, it's not really eccentric, based. We don't yeah, to do exactly. eccentric damage. But so do you utilize complexes for teaching and also maybe for some accumulation blocks where I Yeah, so uh,
1: complexes can have a ton of different uses, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and this this will get into your error correction thing pretty seamlessly. So Uh, We'll use complexes, uh, you know, if there's a hypertrophy block or uh, maybe strength endurance kind of thing. So we'll do multiple reps um, where the Olympic lifts might be only done for three or something like that, but you might do, you know, three front squats on top of it or something like that. So you might do uh, two hang cleans, three front squats, three hang cleans, three front squats, something like that, so that we actually have the bar on our body for longer. Uh, uh, We would use that for... We'd use those complexes all the time uh, for that sort of thing. For teaching, a lot of times, if I notice, the big one is if like you want to have like a really smooth contact in the second pole so the bar almost slides up the thigh as opposed to like banging, right? Um, and the common, the common like literature uh, interpretation from a lot of Soviet literature is like brush point, right? Uh, but a lot of times you see people do like a contact point. Um, so you know I always tell people if if you have trouble picturing what it should look like uh, how do you brush your hair you know it's like smooth you know just whack yourself on top of the head over and over right so uh, that's how Olympic lifts should be right they should be smooth and and build up the thigh so let's say in teaching I notice that once we go from above the knee the athlete kind of lets the bar hang out and it bangs off their hips or something like that it only takes once or twice for an athlete to be like "Ah, I don't feel like that's right that kind of hurts you know um, so we'll do like a pull plus a power clean. So we'll do like pull, pull, power clean. So it's slide, slide, finish. Um, and so uh, we do it in teaching ideally uh, if we see if we're teaching in a group, we see a uh, a group of people making a similar error, and we'll do it individually if we have the opportunity uh, in a program. you know that that first block may say hang power clean. Uh, but you know if I look over in the athletes, you know, kind of things are falling apart, uh, that, that could get subbed in really quickly for a complex of a similar number of reps. Right. Um, and so, and that, that is, that would be when you come to error correction, right? Um, that's the number one way we correct errors. Right. So I think, uh, Nick, Nick Winkleman has talked a lot about, uh, you know, internal cues, external cues, and then kind of the pinnacle of, of coaching is this like environmental cues, put somebody in an environment where they can succeed, i've seen him you know like hey we're talking about posture when we're skipping you know hold a medicine ball overhead or something like that you cannot skip with bad posture when when you have something held overhead so um we we do that a lot of times so um that instance we were talking about the bars kind of sliding away from somebody we're gonna uh, do pull pull clean right that's gonna correct the bar path um we may do um you know if an athlete has you know off the floor their their chest starts to tip or something like that. We could do a, a pull. We could do a clean with a pause above the knee or a snatch with a pause above the knee. So they pull, stop, make sure their chest is up, and then go. Uh, it gives me an opportunity then to say, hey your chest drops, start over. So uh, the pinnacle of coaching for us is like really eliminating our need as a coach, right? So if I can if I can put you in an environment or program away the error that you're making, uh, I'm going to be much more effective than having to use words.
0: Great stuff, and again, I'm just making notes here. Um, yeah, no worries. In in terms of, um, like, I think what kind of frustrates some coaches is, again, they want this black and white answer where they're like, okay, so like, what's the progression? Do they just do like hang shrug for four weeks, and then do we go to hang the the hang clean, and then da da da? And I guess the answer is like it, it's going to vary with each athlete how fast they progress in their yeah. in their Olympic lifts and. Um, and obviously, the, then there's going to be different practice strategies because, again, athletes learn differently. But with you, like, say I'm a new athlete and I come in, do you want them, like, or, like, would you like them to be able to do a, a proficient hiking in that first session? Like, would, would they have gone through all these progress Like, so, like, let's say, uh like, at boils for instance, if they're a new athlete, we would teach them a hands-free front squat. And then uh, we would get them just right at the position one, and we would just say jump, stroke, catch, and we just kind of cue them there through that. Um, yeah. Yeah. like do you yeah. like ideally would you like every athlete on day one to be able to do a, like a, an attempt at a at a you know at a high hang power clean? Or do you? Yeah, do you, mean, you have it a more structured out where you're like no four no, weeks, so uh, last this?
1: It no, it's it's not that structured. I'd like. I'd like by the end of four weeks, the first four weeks, for them to be doing a, a, a hang clean or hang power clean from above the knee, right? So uh, it's almost up to the coach who's in the facility at the time. So I have a really yeah. great team of coaches, right? And we all follow the progression. But it's you know starts with the front squat. Then we're doing the straight arm pull, maybe a high pull, muscle clean power clean right and we do that from the hip
0: and they'll do all that in one session like that yeah they like like a something like a 10 15 minute block what would it be
1: exactly right yeah, so we yeah. say okay. in you know first like 2 3 weeks on there it doesn't say five sets of 3 it says hang power clean 10 minutes yeah, right yeah or yeah. you know 12 oh, minutes I get you, is yeah. typically what we get right so 10 to 12 minutes whatever we can get through in that period if we're teaching a group we go to the lowest common denominator Wherever that person gets uh, in that first day, usually if they're of similar quality, if we have somebody who's just way behind a group, then we'll kind of, we'll say, Hey, why don't we work on this on the side, mm-hmm. you know, some other time to kind of bring them up to the other group. But yeah, by the end of four weeks, we want to be doing, uh, a lightly loaded, clean, you know, hang clean. Right. And that kind of, you know, that goes back a lot to my, uh, and you know, people will be like, some coaches will be like, "Well, I don't have that time to get them strong, right? So and that takes too much time." Um, so, but we, what we know about strength is it carries over from so many different areas, right? So if they have a good looking squat, you can load the squat or load the single leg work or uh, you know load your trap bar deadlifts or you know load your RDLs or whatever, and that strength will carry over pretty quickly. And I always relate it back to when I learned the Olympic lifts. I came in on day one with 185-pound power clean, um, and it was pretty ugly. Uh, it was really ugly, and um, and and they just said, my coaches were like, all right, here's how we do it. You know, They taught me, um, and then they, for the first six weeks, I was not allowed to clean a jerk more than 50 kilograms, and I wasn't allowed to snatch more than 40 kilograms, and then at the end of six weeks, we had just a little in-house meet, and I did 65 in the snatch, and I did 85 in the clean and jerk without ever having... Even put those on the bar, and I, you know, went for six for six in a competition. They started letting me load more. After another six weeks, I went to the my first junior national meet, and I did a ninety-two and a half kilo snatch and a hundred and fifteen kilo clean and jerk. Whoa. So if you go, if you told somebody, hey, in twelve weeks I'm going to take you, just take my clean. I'm going to take your clean from eighty-five kilos to one fifteen. Not to mention I learned how to snatch and could do over two hundred pounds, and you know, learned how to jerk and all that kind of stuff. Not to mention all those things. Right. If you said I'll put 30 kilos on your clean in 12 weeks, you'd say, Heck yeah, I'll do it. Right. But what most people aren't willing to do is like stay really light for six weeks and train the other things. Right. So if you know my squat were garbage, they would have kept me light on the squat. But I had, you know, I knew how to squat pretty decently, and and so I was able to train strength in the other areas, and it all transferred as soon as I, I had a model under which I could, you know, actually put stress on it. Right. So once I had that, once I had that good technical model that was no problem than add load, right? It was like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be done. It wasn't, you know, particularly hard. So I always, I try and relate that as like, um, you know, I have really good proportions for Olympic lifting, um, not very tall, short arms, all that kind of stuff. So that makes it pretty good for me. But we do that all the time where athletes come in with a certain lift, you know, they come in with a a 80 kilo clean. um, And then within, you know, three or four months, four or five months, maybe they're, they're cleaning, uh, you know, 115 or, you know, 110 or something like that, but it's really artificially light for a period of time. So, um, so I, I, you know, I don't, so it does, it can take time. It doesn't take time to like teach it immediately. Right. Like I can, you know, after day one, if I have a pretty good group of athletes, um, and I taught like 35 kids at a local high school who had never cleaned before except minus one kid, Uh, how to clean, and, you know, by the end of the summer, there were, I think there were 14 guys on the team who could clean over 80 kilos, right, and this was, uh, you know, this was a group that had never done it before, and, you know, on day one, we taught, like, to the knee, Uh, day two, I taught them how to, like, actually, day one, I taught them how to squat uh, for the first half, and then taught them how to get to the knee in the second half, Uh, and then day two, we did, uh, from the floor and this was a total of two hours and by week two we were doing cleans and by week eight we had you know we had 15 guys over 80 kilos so um it doesn't it, do, it doesn't take too long to like get something that's really worthwhile you know, it could be one day two days uh you know 30 total minutes or something like that
0: yeah yeah and again i guess it comes back to what you spoke about around about mastery and, and the ability to be able to let to delay to delay instant gratification <laughs> Yeah, o- Olympic lifts are definitely about being able to delay instant gratification yeah. in terms yeah. of learning the, the technical model. Um, a question then is, you know, and I get great, great to get your aspect in this is you do get a lot of coaches saying, oh, like, this, like I don't do Olympic lifts because it takes too long to learn them," and then like they get people saying, No, Olympic lifts that they're e- they're easy to teach," and it's kind of like, well, like you know, it's like a spectrum. So I kind of look at it like. There's a, there is a difference between mastering something and, becoming, oh, a, a, and learning something or becoming, yeah. or becoming pretty proficient or something. So the analogy I always give is like a guitar, like, you know, so like there's lots of people who can play the guitar professionally well and do some songs, but they're not like Jimi Hendrix on the guitar no. either. Yeah. So I, I guess like the argument some coaches make is, well, if I can't get true mastery of and get the full, full benefit like a trillumny lifter, I'm not going to do any for And other people like, that's throwing the baby up the bat water. Yeah. even if you can get an athlete to a reasonably proficient Olympic lifting variation they will get some benefit from that once they can apply enough stress through the Olympic lift uh, yeah. variation or through that method Um. so like in terms of if if you were to have an athlete like is there a cut-off point like so let's say an athlete comes and says I I only have eight weeks and I've never Olympic lifted like would you still try and do Olympic lifts or would you be like would it be more like I, I know if I had this athlete for like four years, the bad for doing Olympic Do you kind know to get what I mean? So, like, for, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. I
1: mean, and there's probably half a dozen con- questions to ask them. Okay, yeah, right. A because uh, I'll give you an example. Right, we had a uh, professional baseball player uh, a couple years ago. Never Olympic lifted. Um, had we had eight weeks? Um, really good athlete. He actually wanted to Olympic lift. Right. He asked me if he could. But he had had some nagging elbow things, yeah. and was already getting paid multi- millions of dollars. And you were so like in your like, head, no. Yeah, and he, yeah, exactly. So we did, you know, we did variations. We did clean pulls, um, and you know, we did like uh, trap bar deadlifts, and we would do a ton of plyometrics and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And he got he got really really good he led the minor leagues and steals that year and had you know the, the best year of his his career because he was really strong and really powerful but that goes back to that principle um, the you know if it's an 8 week athlete who's a high school baseball player or uh, a high school basketball player or something like that and they're pretty athletic and i'd see a move on day 1 and say you know what we can do this but it's almost like uh, you know we see a move i see how they squat Uh, If they already know how to squat and they already know how to hinge and they can jump and land and that all looks good, then they have the prerequisites and then I can go – I can teach Olympic lifts and have a common language because it's like we're going to hinge to here. We're going to think about jumping and landing, all that kind of stuff. But if they can't move at all, then no, I got to teach them how to squat. I got to teach them how to hinge. I got to teach them how to jump and land.
0: So like if you – basically if you had an athlete for like just a one off block, you you probably wouldn't – Spend yeah, unless,
1: time. unless like, and it, it's it's what you were saying. I mean, it's basically compare it to school, right? Uh, what are your prereqs, right? And in Olympic lifting, you know, like if Olympic lifting is uh, like a, a, not rudimentary arithmetic in in the gym. Uh, if you don't know the rudimentary arithmetic, right? If it's division or multiplication, yeah, yeah. right? I need to teach you the first, the stuff first, right? I yeah. need to teach you how to jump. I need to teach you how to hinge. I need to teach you how to squat, uh, all that kind of stuff. And if I, if but if you come to me and you already have that, um, and you're relatively healthy, and there's a high upside to it, we can get, we can probably get a lot done in eight weeks. Yeah, uh, and right. it, but it, it's probably going to look like, but it's also evaluating when I put the bar in their hands and we do the first sets of pulls. How's that look, right? Yeah, yeah. And I probably can make a call after trying for one day or fifteen minutes mm-hmm. and say, "All right, it's going to work or it's not," right? Yeah. So that that's kind of where we are. So are yeah, going? we're gonna we're gonna try uh, if the upside's high enough uh, and the athlete has those basic skills to start with, because I do think that you know what you're saying is like uh, the power outputs. Um, Aren't just like for the elite athletes, right? Mm. Really high power outputs come from that uh that you know power clean from above the knee. Really, yeah. really high power outputs. Yeah, so, if
0: you're going to research oh, those at the second where the second goal, I guess exactly. I guess right? what what you see with a lot of athletes is that they 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 jump too soon. The bar leaves their body. Yeah, and and they don't
1: get the actual hip and knee extension, and they yeah.
0: and they, they end up going forward chasing the bar and do the yep, stomp exactly. And then you get coaches saying, "Well, like." What like they're like like do you get like because you can even get like pure it's these people are actually even with Olympic background because they're so pure they're like what's the point like you know whereas other people are like yeah. well if you put a, a teno unit on that right it, it might be as as beautiful as an Olympic lifter but it still looks pretty decent and yeah. the, the the bar is moving at a, at a pretty good uh, speed and that just gives me into this other question now and then I, we'll wrap up the show with with some of the uh, final few questions is um. Do, do you feel that by not utilizing Olympic lists, because again, we go back to this idea of principles versus methods, and Olympic lists yeah. are just one method. Do you feel by excluding Olympic lifts that coaches are missing some type of key element in developing an at least overall power output pr- uh, profile? So we know if we look at that force velocity curve, you know, you have your maximum strength, then you have your strength speed. Then some, I've seen some new ones lately where they go max strength, strength, speed. Then they go power whereas where velocity and power both meet. And then there's speed strength and then there's obviously speed. And a lot of people say Olympic lifts variations. Some of the super maximal pulls are good for the strength speed. And some Olympic variations are also good for strength speed. And then also for the power output, the power yes, yeah. that sort of middle bracket. Then some Olympic variations are good there. And even for speed strength some lighter ones are good there as methods to use to hit yeah. it, you know, as as methods again, obviously known that we're talking methods here yeah. versus principles. But do you feel by eliminating Olympics as a method that some coaches are missing out on on ultimately developing that force velocity curve in an athlete?
1: So if you want to have like a complete profile, there is that spot where Olympic lifts are probably the most direct path to hit hit that power number. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where I think that most common thing is you see like sixty to eighty percent of uh, yes. max force, yeah. right? Is that where power lies? Um, and typically, if you kind of do the math and work backwards, it, it, we always talk about like our max force number is probably going to be, you know, your your back squat or something like that, right? Um, maybe a deadlift or something. And if you work backwards, um, you know, power cleans, power snatches, those kind of fall in that like 60 to 80 percent range of that max force number. Uh, if we're just going off what we we have out of the gym and not force plate stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's probably your most direct path to hitting getting that power part of the force velocity curve covered. But if you can't do it, you can also you can find different methods. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, typically you'd be like, oh, I don't want to take him overhead. Or, I don't want to rack it at the shoulder. But nobody has a problem putting it in, into like a, a clean pull Uh, you know that might call it a jump shrug or whatever but it's it's a clean pull um and so people don't have a problem putting athletes in there and and kind of so you can get it um the only intrinsic thing that you get from the olympic lifts by receiving the bar that i think is kind of uh underrated when it comes to athleticism is that like absorption of force right because there is a shock to the body and you have to have you you have the stopping power to uh, to reach back so when you play like a contact like a collision sport or a contact sport i think it it's almost uh it's highly undervalued uh that the preparation that it puts on the body to receive you know a load at the chest right so i yeah you can you can hit that spot i think the olympic lifts tend to be the most direct route uh, with the most literature with the most research on it and all that kind of stuff but if you you know if you really look out there the um, there's some recent stuff on trap bar jump shrugs. at yeah, certain yeah. percentages of one rep max. I was
0: just about to say that. Yeah.
1: yeah, so that that's all there, right? So you can use it. Um, you're gonna you, you might you'd probably Olympic lifts. The kind of the other hidden benefit is they're just they're uh, they're kind of fun to do, right? And, <laughs> you know, right? And so, and I think there's a little more excitement in your program. Uh, on the day that you guys, if you have a good program of Olympic lifts, on the day that you guys go heavy on the Olympic lifts, right? Because everybody knows if you got it or didn't, right? Yeah. If you leave a trap bar, deadlift, jump shrug kind of short uh, and you don't get full hip extension, then uh, does everybody cheer in the weight room or do people go, oh, uh, I think he got it, you yeah. know, but on the clean, you got it or didn't, right? So I think that there's a look, there's some extra intrinsic values that maybe aren't, you know, they're not research back. They're just kind of uh, if you have them in your program, you kind of see that they're a little more—they're a little more fun for the athletes to do. Uh, but you don't have to have them, right? That, yeah. That's the thing. It's just a method. The principle that we talked about is—is is just this power development.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I—I I, like—I like the term you use there, like uh, as in like they're probably the most direct method. But again, there, there's many roads that lead to Roman. I think what confused a lot of coaches, and this even to me in my earlier coaching career, was that. Again, you kind of saw the force velocity curve, and then you kind of like again saw strength, speed, or power. And it was always like Olympic lifts were like the predominant method usually put into that bracket. So a lot of coaches were coming back to, well, if you don't do Olympic lifts, you won't train strength, speed, or or power off me. I remember like uh, Kirwan and Flats' strength speed and power outputs are purely just got to do with velocity of the weights moving. Out. Yeah, you can, exactly, yeah. You can use like a ton of different uh, yeah, methods yeah. outside of a limitless. Totally. So again, like the trap bar jump for instance or something like that. But, you yeah, know, and, and see, the reason why I love having these conversations with someone with your background is because you have an individual background and you're saying you don't have to use them. Like, you don't have to use them. I use them because I like using them and, and I feel they're a, a major tool in my toolbox and I can teach them well and, I've got yeah. progressions in place, and you have a deep understanding of them. And, you know, I, I, again, I think it's because people always want, or a lot of people want, black and white answers. You know, oh yeah. Whereas nearly everything is on a spectrum. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, definitely. Like you know, it, it really, like the answer to really everything is it depends because we always need to ask about the context of the question. So uh, yeah. it's great stuff. Well, we'll just wrap up here. Um, questions I always love asking. Uh, oh, one last, sorry, one last one. If, if you have a little bit of time in terms of just periodization like, how does that look with you, like, so, like, do you do 12-week blocks, or I know it can be individual, but let's say you had athlete yeah. for 12 weeks or 16 weeks, do, do you utilize, like, accumulation, intensification, and then, like, a peaking block, or, like, I, I know, and I know not train at age varies. so, it's a beginner, high yeah, school,
1: yeah, so, right? I mean, same athlete, um, you know, relatively good, we would do something that, um, that really is from Coach Dose and Alan Cosgrove, which is, like, their kind of model of alternating linear periodization, so... On the order of like every three to four weeks, we're we're changing the rep schemes, and it usually goes like high low high low kind of thing. So it'd be almost like an undulating periodization, but just on a little longer time scale. Um, so uh, and that's usually just keeps our athletes in a pretty decent state of readiness because we don't often get our athletes for twelve months, right? Yeah, yeah. So we won't we won't get a twelve month athlete uh, in most sports. Um, so we can't really do anything other than that. Instead, we just want to hit pieces of everything and kind of. Uh, manifest into strength and all that kind of stuff, but keep them relatively ready with their conditioning and all that kind of stuff. So that would be our typical athlete. when it comes to like our more Olympic lift oriented crew that that's a really linear periodization, right? Because you have this target date twelve weeks out, sixteen weeks out, and we're just gonna build there. And basically, in that sense, I'm just gonna choose it's almost more exercise choice where we go like higher rep. And we're doing like more strength and variation, and then into competition and strength, and then uh, competition and variation kind of thing, where we're kind of just whittling down to the the variations that have the most you yeah. know special strength correlation to the the athlete's uh, performance on
0: the platform. In in terms of your Olympic lifters in their programming, how how does that look? Are you uh, are you uh, like uh, obviously an Olympic variation, and then is it their uh, an assistance lift? Um, yeah Yeah, so
1: that probably the uh, the most common thing it would look like is we'll do some sort of like light technical variation uh to work on some specific problem then uh something that is heavily like a relatively heavily loaded complex or something uh with with the olympic lifts that involves one of the classical movements on a light day it might be a power movement but uh it's you know pull plus snatch plus overhead squat or Pull plus clean plus front squat plus jerk or something, right? Um, and we might do a complex of that, and we could change the different rep schemes. It could be like one plus two plus one or yeah, one plus yeah. one plus one or whatever. And and then we'll go into like a strength variation, uh, whether that's squat, a pull, yeah. yeah, pull or a back squat or a front squat. Uh, and then we we do quite a bit of accessory work uh, for most of their training, where we're doing you know a lot of like posterior chain stuff or. Um, you know, core or shoulders or what, whatever, and it, that almost looks like bodybuilding-esque because we're, yeah. like, really picking out body parts uh, because that, like, hypertrophy, like the functional hypertrophy f- for a weightlifter is just really valuable for them to hold up uh, to training.
0: And would you, uh, would you usually – if you have to go now, just let me know. Uh, yeah, oh,
1: I yeah, I got, I got probably two or three minutes. Is that all right?
0: All right, perfect. Would uh, – would you – well, right, if you have two or three minutes left, well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll get you back on and we'll talk more about it within the program because right, cool. I want to get these last one. All right. So just wrapping up real quick then. In terms of your biggest mistakes and lessons you've learned from, what what would you say would be your biggest mistakes and lessons?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, honestly, if you had had me – nobody would have had me on a podcast You know, nine years ago because you know, there's only like three podcasts, but uh, no, you know, I'd – I wasn't, I wasn't particularly good at coaching yet. Right. And I was really dogmatic about Olympic lifts and said, you know, if you asked me like, Hey, should they Olympic lift? Like my answer would have been like, would have been, well, do they have a pulse, you know? Uh, and everybody should Olympic lift. Everybody should do this. Um, and, and I was like, you know, really locked in on that. So that was a mistake early on. Obviously I learned from it and like, uh, you know, and realize, man, you can't just stick to a method, and, and so that was that was kind of an early on mistake that I uh, I would like to have back. Uh,
0: and then your top advice, to all the listeners, and that can be anything, so life advice, training advice, and then some of your top resources, whether it be a book, oh a course, yeah, podcasts, etc.
1: Um, gosh, life advice. Um, to be quiet, like I always, I kind of, I try to keep a priority list, right? In, in my life at all times. So, cause somebody was at, one of my athletes was like, Hey, you you know, how do you keep your schedule? I have all these things that I got to do. How do I do them all? And, uh, and I was like, well, you have to then rank your priorities, right? So, um, is your business number one? Is your, uh, coaching number one? Is your continuing education? Is it your, your family, what is it, you know, and, and then once you have those in order, then you can make sure that the things that, that your task list or your to-do list or your week matches up with Absolutely. the priorities, right. That you've set for yourself. So me, it's like, it's always family number one, right? So I have a young son and a wife and another one on the way. So, uh, so then I need to make sure that throughout the week that my light, my task list, and certainly like, oh gosh, this comes up, I got to do this that can kind of bump some things around but then i got to get back to normal but make that task list or make that make your you know ranking list rank what it is is it your family social life uh, if you you know if you rank it in it's like my social life uh, my own training uh, and uh, you know my going to movies then don't you know don't wonder why your clients don't get good, good results cuz they fell fourth you know or yeah, yeah. you know that sort of things so uh, it can it can help you identify where you have problems uh, or whatever. So that's my number one life advice, right, I think is, has been pretty impactful. Um, resources. Um, gosh, uh, I, I'll say like what I've read recently, is uh, stronger, faster, better, uh, str- smarter, faster, better. I can never remember what, what the three words are, but it's James Duhigg, and I thought that was really good. Reading Legacy right now. Great book, I read and, that, uh, James yeah, Curry. Yeah. And so that's, a, that's an excellent one. Um, and then, uh, gosh, for weightlifting, you should read my Olympic lifting book.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And am to yeah, get your DVD. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you also do a podcast with Coach Dose, which I'll link up in the show notes too. Yeah, yeah, a, absolutely. It's a fantastic yeah. resource. Last but not least, and then you can get going. Yeah, you got it. Okay, you have uh, dinner, uh, and you can invite five, any five people you want, dead or alive. Oh, gosh. Who would you bring to dinner and why?
1: Oh, um my my wife. Uh i so you I'd don't play, get in trouble. <laughs> no, I I bring my wife, I'd bring my son, right? So I got three left. Uh I'd bring my mom, she passed away a few years ago. Um and then uh man, past that. I'm really gonna be down to one because i 'cause I'm gonna bring my dad. He's 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 great. Um and then
0: you did say family was your first priority.
1: I know, right? And then uh, I'll have to bring um who would be just the most interesting person to talk to? Um, maybe like a like a, a Bondarchuk or, or somebody like that, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: You need a translator, though, so that'd be six people. Yeah, <laughs>
1: so, and he got six. But he doesn't count. The translator's not eating. Nah, yeah, yeah, so, they're the same person. Yeah. Well, but well, yeah, I mean, that, oh, that, that would be mine so that that i like that
0: listening. yeah yeah listen I, I know you're in a rush and we'll wrap it up so uh thanks so much will for today and uh hey i'm definitely gonna get okay. you back on again
1: will Wait. do anytime man i love yeah, it thank absolutely.
0: you all right see you take care brother all, right, all right bye-bye so guys what an absolutely fantastic interview with will fleming i hope you really enjoyed it but for now it is time to sign off until next time take care be well and stay strong <laughs>